Greetings to all of you who have gathered here this morning. Mai, welcome to the Transrail Virtual Field Trip, Transalpine Virtual Field Trip Web Conference. Call Andrew Tokoingo. I'm Andrew, the Learns Karahi for this field trip, and I'd like to extend a warm welcome to Ian, our expert this morning. Ian is a locomotive engineer, and if you haven't already, you can check out his profile video on the field trip website to learn a bit more about the work he does. And a big warm welcome to Banks Avenue School, our speaking school this morning. Really looking forward to hearing your questions and Ian's answers and having a a good discussion about rails, rail safety, locomotives and all that sort of thing, the infrastructure that goes into building our railways. It's all really interesting stuff. And um, I encourage you to check out the Google Earth Tour on the Field Trip website. Uh, some great information in those videos and uh, just really opened your eyes to uh, the world of rail. It's, uh, there's a lot more to it than you might imagine. Okay, so we're going to get underway with our questions this morning. So Banks Avenue, can we have your first question, please? Hi, I'm Catherine, and I have a question. How do you build and test a New Zealand diesel train and what materials are involved? First of all, we used to build locomotives and trains in New Zealand, but they're all built overseas and imported now. So the majority of the locomotives we have in uh, New Zealand are either built in China or built in the US of A. So the, the building of a locomotive starts with a, just like a house, if you consider a house where you build the framework and put all the bodywork around it or all the bricks around it. But inside it, you've got all the internal parts like the engine, and the engine drives a big generator, which in turn supplies power to electric motors and the wheels, which turn the wheels. Was there a part of that question? So I'm just checking the chat. Materials. Oh, the materials. Oh, well, part of that oh, was the testing. So, so it just it said, Ian, how do you build and test? So where where's the testing done? Do we do the testing in, in Aotearoa? Yes, all the testing's done here. So when we get a new locomotive from overseas, it goes through a procedure whereby it's checked all over and it's altered to the conditions that we want to run it in New Zealand. So they put it on a machine called a dynamometer and it uh, works out how much horsepower that the engine can put out and the, the maximum tractive effort that we can apply to the wheels. So the tractive effort is the amount of power that the electric motors and the wheels put out to the wheels to make them turn. It's a bit like um, when you have a, an electric car. The more you, the more you put your foot down the accelerator, the faster it goes. And um, yes, that's r- roughly the procedure for uh, testing locomotives. And the, um, the, with the building of them, they're built really, really strong to pull heavy trains. Like we can pull up to two and a half thousand tonne. So they've got to be really strong at the front to be able to pull all those wagons behind. And uh, so they're all made of a heavy steel frame and they're designed to, the, the buffer, which connects all the wagons together, connecting, uh, connecting rods on it, you could call them, they're actually designed for uh, 600 kilonewtons 
of tonnage to pull, which means that we can pull 10,000 tonne with them if you want to. But the restriction with the gauge in New Zealand, the track gauge is only three foot six apart, or 1,067 millimetres between the rails. So that governs what, how much uh, weight we can carry and how big our trains are. So they're built tough, built strong. Definitely, um, yes. But yeah, so we have a slightly narrower track gauge than a lot of countries, which is the which is the width of the, the rails. Hey, Catherine, awesome question to get us started with. Uh, thanks for that. So we'll have uh, your second question now, please. Thanks, Dave. Um, hi, my name is Raya. How do you no, no, you've got a really close good boy. How how do you get trains onto a track after they are built? And how do you get them off if they need a repair? Mm -hmm. Well, when they're first built, they're usually built on a workshop with a rail siding on them. So they usually build them on the tracks. But uh, when they ship them out here, they come out in big ships and they usually crane them off the ship onto railway tracks or onto a, a big low loader truck and they cut it to the nearest rail siding where they unload it again by a crane onto the track. And when they need servicing or major repairs, they use the same again. They'll lift sections of the locomotive, like they'll lift all the uh, the engine uh, out or a traction motor or maybe the generator or a big air compressor. They'll lift it out with a crane. But most times when they do major servicing or major repairs, the train is actually still left on the rails. Yeah, it's left on the rails and then there's like a cavity underneath, like a, a, a bit out of the a ground a that the person go underneath and then get underneath the body, is that right? Yeah, called a pit, yeah. So they, yeah, yeah. It's so all the, um, we've got a major servicing depot here in Middleton in Christchurch, whereby they've got uh, three different roads and they've got uh, big long pits to go the whole length of the shed so they can wind underneath the locomotives and check out the, uh, the likes of the traction motors or the brakes or the wheels. Um, anything that's underneath the locomotive, they can check by just accessing the pits. So related to that too, you can turn a train round by um, putting them on some sort of roundabout? On a turntable, yeah. We can do that as well, yeah. yeah the, the locomotives up the North Island are double-ended so they don't have to turn them. So they've got a driving cab at each end. Mm. So yeah, all the ones in the South Island are only single-ended. Oh, we have got some. They've got the, the cabs in the centre and they've got an engine each end. which They're a shunt locomotives which are do the shunting in the Middleton Yard and, and down at Littleton, various other places. So with the Transalpine, when we went to Greymouth, was there, did we have a locomotive on the back when we got there? How did it turn around to go back? No, no. So what they do when they get to Greymouth, they have two locomotives in the front. It'll be all the way from Christchurch to Greymouth. And they uncouple them when they get to Greymouth and run them round run them around the whole train and hook them on the other end. And they've got the, the cabs of the locomotives are facing in two opposite directions. So they're back to back. So they can run them in either direction. And they just, so when they get to Greymouth, they'll cut the locomotives off, run them around the whole train, uh, couple them on the other end and change the driving cabs. So it's driving in the other direction. So that viewing uh, carriage will be at the back. That's yeah, correct, yes. Yeah. yeah, they don't turn the whole train there. I just changed the locomotives. <laughs> yeah, so um, Banks, what, what I'm talking about is when we, so when we did the Transalpine, uh, <clears throat> our team was in 
a carriage near the back of the train. And so to get to the viewing carriage, which was the open deck so you could look out at the scenery, you can look out the scenery through the windows anyway, but this is an open carriage. Um, we had to walk right through all the other carriages to get to the, the viewing cart, the open cart. So on the way back, it's it's near the back. But of course, if we had have gone back, we would have been near the front, so we would have still had to walk through. Anyway, getting a bit sidetracked. Uh, thanks, Ryan. Um, another good question. So we're up to question three now. Hi, my name is Johan, and my question for today is, what is the speed of a train at a crossing? And is there any other way to tell it is coming other than the lights or barrier arms? Mm. Good question. Yeah, so, yeah. so the, the speed of a train depends on the gradient. So if it's a steep grade and the train's coming towards the crossing, it won't be going as fast if it's got a big train on behind it because it'll be going slower, towing a heavy train. But normally the uh, on flat ground, uh, like around Christchurch and Ashburton and up north there, the, um, the maximum speed of the passenger train is 100 kilometres an hour and the maximum speed of a freight train, which carries all the goods and all the wagons behind it, is 80 kilometres an hour. So that's the maximum running speeds we can run at in New Zealand. Uh, with the, um, with the, if you want to find another way of how to tell if trains approaching crossings, you, you, if you look up the track, you'll see the train coming with, it's got four big headlights on it. And the bottom two, when the driver toots his whistle, the bottom two will flash at you approaching crossings. So we have to toot the whistle approaching crossings. So you'll, you'll see two headlights in the top of the locomotive will be stationary and the two on the, on, down on the car catch will be flashing. Another way you can tell is uh, so with some trains is the noise of the trains approaching a crossing or you can, uh, with the driver tooting the, either whistle or the horn, the whistle sounded on a steam engine. That's the difference. And it's a pneumatic horn on a on a diesel locomotive. It's all year operated. Mm. So yeah, all of those movies you've seen where people put their ear on the track, oh, that's not a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Okay, thanks, Johan. Uh, question four now. Um, hello, my name is James, and my question for today is, what is the weight of an average train, and how strong does a bridge need to be to handle a train? Hi, James. Well, the maximum tonnage we can carry in New Zealand on behind our trains is, is 2,500 tonne. And depending on, the, on the, uh, the class of the wagon, which the goods are on, uh, will depend the length of the train as well. So... You may have a 30 wagon train and it's got 2,000 tonne in, but you might have containers, empty containers on, and it might be 60 wagons long and might be 2,500 tonne. Uh, sorry, what was the other part of your, the last part of your question? Um, and how strong does a bridge need to be to handle a train? All bridges are built pretty strong to allow for um, the all the in-train forces on a train, like when you have a train traveling fast and with the weight on it, it actually pushes, if it's downhill, it actually pushes the track downhill. So you've got to allow for that, for movement on the bridge, as well as the compression weight, so the whole weight of the train on the bridge. But overall, bridges, I think, are built 
three times stronger than what they need to be for the weight of a train. Thank you. Is that okay? Thank awesome. you. Excellent. Thanks, James. Um, up to question five now. Doing really well, back Sav. Nice and clear. Good questions. Oh, nice feedback. Hi, my, sorry. Hi, my name is Peyton, and I have a question for you. How does wild weather, like earthquakes, lightning, and floods, affect trains and tracks? Well, as you may have seen by the uh, Kaikoura quake, it, it devastated the whole railway line. It, it actually pushed it right out in the sea. It buckled the track and broke a lot of bridges and tunnels, and it took something like nine months before the first train was allowed to come through over that uh, section track, which was um, badly damaged. So with um, the likes of bad weather, like thunder and lightning, it sometimes knocks out all their power supplies for their, for their signaling on the, on the track, which operates some of our points on the track, as well as all the signals and radios. I personally had a, a lightning strike the front of a locomotive and disabled my whole locomotive electrically. Um, with flooding, uh, we've got to be very aware of flooding because you can't always see what damage, if the water is over the track, you can't always see what damage has caused the track underneath and you don't want to derail your train. So if there's water over the top of the rail, we're not allowed to travel over it. I mean, most, um, would you get much flooding? Because generally rail's built sort of above above that flood plane level, isn't it? Yeah, uh, the majority of this year, it's usually raised up at, with the uh, recent Ashburton floods and that, we had quite a lot of damage down there. We had uh, the approaches to bridges washed away and a lot of the track was undermined and a lot of places, all the ballast, like all the stones around the track was all washed away and under the track, causing the track to dip. And you wouldn't want to drive over that because you'd probably derail. So um, yeah. when when your, um, when the lightning took out your engine, did you just have to stop and wait for someone, wait for help? Yes, that's correct. That stopped waiting with the locomotive. Yeah. It actually burned a hole in the front of the uh, the locomotive where it hit. <laughs> quite a quite a big hit, actually. All right. Well, there you go. Good question, Peyton. Yeah, all can all of those can affect the running of the train, and you can actually um, you can Google the Kaikoura earthquake and. You know, maybe even be a bit specific about what you're looking for in terms of uh, rail damage. There's some quite amazing images of what that earthquake did to the rail lines. So um, that would be quite yeah. interesting to look at. Just in addition to what I said, just in addition to what I said, the wind can also, strong wind can also affect a long train. With the force of it blowing across the train can actually slow the train down, make it a lot harder to pull. Yeah, like a headwind as well. Yeah, headwind does the same, yeah. Here's your side wind wind to lead you up. Yeah, it does sometimes, yeah, not very often, but <laughs> if you get a long train, the wind will affect the, the performance of your train. There you go. So, really interesting stuff. All right, so um, we're up to question six now, guys. How does a train... Introduce yourself. Uh, hi, my, hi, my name is Alex. And I've got a question for you. How does a train balance on a train track and how do they stay and move along them? Hey, Alex. Well, the train is, um, when it sits on the track, it's a bit like a car with its tyres. So 
uh, the, the actual locomotive weigh, weighs 102 tonne. So it's quite a big weight. So you imagine 102 cars all compressed together. That's the weight of one locomotive, the engine on the front. And then you've got the weight of the train behind you. So, so the wheels are actually held on the track by flanges. They're like a big groove on the outside, on the inside of the wheel. And it actually goes between the rails and holds the locomotive on the rails so it won't veer off to one side. So that's why we can't, the driver can't steer the, steer the locomotive off the tracks because the, the flanges will hold it engaged all the time between the rails and hold it on the track. Now, I'm pretty sure that on one of the background pages, oh, sorry, Discover More pages, there's, um, there's an activity you can do. I'm just having a look now. I'm pretty sure... There we go, right. So on the background page called Tracks, Trains and Locomotives, that's the very first Discover More page. Right down the bottom of the page is there's a little uh, little text in black called More with a plus sign. So if you click on that, there's an activity showing how train wheels stay on the track. So if you've got some more interest in that topic, I would recommend checking out that activity and that will really help you understand because this was completely new learning for me too about this whole flange business and um and why a train is able to stay on the track so uh have a look at that oh there we go um so barry's just put the link to the background page actually i could even um i'll tell you what i'll do i'll go one better and that's the link to the activity. Uh, that's a, that's the um, it's a video uh, actually. Uh, but there's also I'm pretty sure that there's a an activity attached to that video. Okay, right. Well, that was Alex, and we're up to question seven this morning, please. Thank you for answering my question. Good stuff. Thank you, Alex. <coughs> You're not close enough. Close enough. Close enough. Hi, my name is Gabriel, and how does um, and is there a gear system, and how do, um, and how does it, and how does the brakes work? Hmm. A couple of different questions there, Ian. Yep. In one, I got them both here. So, um, there is there is a gear system, but it's not like a conventional car where we have a gearbox. So, what happens underneath the locomotive on the wheels on the axle there's a big electric motor called a traction motor it actually hangs on the axle and it on the end of the traction the traction motor or the electric motor there's a gear and it drives onto the wheel and there's another big uh, spur gear on there which acts, which helps turn the, the whole axle and turns the wheel so there's one of them on every axle there's six axles on on every every locomotive and there's a traction motor on every one of those axles so the amount of power going from the, the, the engine's generator to the traction motor governs how fast that the wheels will turn and thus the train will go faster. So the, um, the brakes are operated on a locomotive by an air system. So coupled, also coupled to the diesel engine is a big air compressor. 
which pumps up the air and allows the brakes to work. So the brakes work by a reduction in air pressure. So when the, at the, I don't know if you noticed, but at the end of the locomotive there's a lot of black hoses, six hoses. So when you pull those, pull the operating cock down, uh, you'll have a lot of air come out. Well, all that air is supplied by the compressor. And they also help the brakes to work on the train. So, uh, so right throughout the train, if you burst one of those hoses, those rubber hoses, they burst like a, like a balloon burst. So if one of those hoses bursts and all the air runs out, all the brakes will come on the train and stop the train automatically. So it's also a fail-safe system in that respect as well. Meaning that if a carriage broke away, it would break the hoses and put the brakes on. That's correct, yes, it'll stop itself. Yeah. We talked about that, and I just wondered, do you keep statistics on that sort of thing? Does it actually ever happen? It does happen now and then, very rarely, but um, it's, it has to be well-documented through um, the LTSA, they get reports and all that on as well. So it's, um, it's, it's part of our, uh, our operating procedures to operate a, a transport system through New Zealand. Oh, that's great. Now we talked about, does it just happen in Western movies or does it actually happen in reality? So um, that's actually good to know that it does actually happen on the odd occasion. In most, most Western movies you'll see, they didn't have any brakes on the train, all they had was handbrakes. Yeah, and it's quite funny because that is what the children see. So it's quite good juxtaposing yeah. that with actually reality, so to speak. So every vehicle, every wagon and carriage and locomotive has also got a handbrake on. So you, when, you, when you stop the train, if you want it to stay there, you wind the handbrakes on and that'll hold the train for uh, forever and a day if need be. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. You've got to remember well. that Westerns were filmed, you know, a hundred, <laughs> well, a film now, but 150 years ago, there's been some yeah. improvement in technology in that time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was, say thanks for that, Gabrielle. You're welcome. I was just going to say, talking of technology, I just have a question, but we've just got, you know, around about four or five minutes left. So if you've got any other questions, maybe couple more questions you'd like to ask. Sounds like Gabriel has. Have you got another question, Gabriel? Not... Just one in your head, darling, is what he's um, asking. Is there something you no, like? Just have a think about it. Just while you're thinking, <laughs> I was just going to ask Ian his thoughts. Um, because I happened to catch the end of a program on, on TV last night, and it was about train technology. And it was showing some of these new high-speed trains. Um, I think it was in Japan. And, you know, these trains are traveling really fast. They look fast. You know, they're all aerodynamic and, and that sort of thing. Is there any likelihood that we'll get something like that here? Or, or, or is the, are we just not set up for it? Is the country too small? Are the tracks not up to spec? What, what's, what do you see the future in that regard, Ian? It's, it's a combination of things, but mainly it's population-based. If you had a lot more people here, you get a lot more rapid transit systems, like uh, high-speed trains and that. Like even in America, they're having a lot of trouble getting funding to run high-speed trains because it is such a big country and it's so spread out and there's not the populations except in the big cities to run them. We're in Japan. Like in Tokyo alone, you've got was it 10 million people live in Tokyo. 
So they run huge amount of trains. Everyone travels by trains. Same in Europe. All the intercity there are all in, from France and Italy. I know they've all got their own high-speed trains. Belgium's got them as well. England's got them. They run under the channel tunnel between England and France. Um, yeah, so that's, that's a good point. Yeah, a lot of it's population-driven. We just don't have those numbers to, to enable that to be something that's required or, or indeed um, enough people using it to, to make it um, economically viable. Uh, yeah, I went on a high-speed train from from uh, Belgium to, to Holland quite a number of years ago. That was quite exciting. I'm sure it's faster these days. Oscar is here. He has a question for you. He's popped through from the other room. Hey, Oscar. Hi. Um, how many people can you fit in a train carriage and what's the biggest train that you've ever run? Hi, Oscar. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. The, I think you can fit uh, 45 people in the carriages that we have now and then the staff as well. And um, the biggest train I've ever run is uh, 3,600 tonne. That was a test train of 45 wagons. We ran between Arthur's Pass and Christchurch. That's impressive, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And we also have Summer here to ask a question. She's also popped through from next door. Hey, Summer. Hey, Summer. Hello, I'm back here with the weather. If it's icy, has any trains ever slipped off the tracks? Mm. Uh, unfortunately, no. The, the trains are actually heavy enough uh, to stay on the rails. and uh, But they do, the ice and wet weather does cause problems with, with the wheels slipping. And to counteract that, we've got a device called a sanding device. So when the wheels start spinning, or slipping on the rail, it automatically puts sand on the rails and, and enables enables the, the wheel to grip better. Fascinating. I think one of the one of the first videos, or maybe one of, within the first one or two or three videos in the Google Earth tour or on the videos page in the field trip website. Um, we actually show that sandbox and you can see within the video the sand going onto the tracks. We'll watch it. Mm. Yeah. There is also in some of our locomotives, we have a system called a wheel slip uh, alert system whereby if the wheels do start slipping, the generator will take some of the power of that traction motor, the electric motor, which turns the wheels so it stops it from slipping. So it's not getting full power on that. On, on the lead, it's usually the lead axle on the on the locomotive there, and it'll actually um, correct itself. Then it'll apply full power again to keep it going. If it does, if it slips again, it'll reduce the power to that that lead axle. So that like ABS braking on cars, where they they grip, <coughs> yes. and if they slip, yeah. they they yeah, same sort of principle. Yeah, it's just in reverse. Yeah, so it actually applies when the wheel slip stops, it applies the power again. That's really interesting. We had one final question. We talked about, you know, the classic train driver. Often as a teacher, if you ask young children what they want to do, they will, um, you know, you'll get at least 50% of your young boys want to be a train driver when they grow up. And we, we talked in class, what percentage of, you know, a train running is actually technology and what 
percentage is the train driver? Is the train driver really driving or are they supervising the technology? Um, well, it's actually a bit of both, actually. Sometimes the uh, when you're in um, adverse weather conditions like heavy rain or that, you're watching your gauges all the time. Um, you're actually using that technology uh, to, the, to its best to, to get the best performance out of, out of the train. Other times, like on flat track, you can put a put the locomotive into a um, into a power notch, like they have um, power notches from one to eight. So you might run a train and say notch four, and that'll run for say 20, 30 miles before you have to do anything. It'll just look after itself. But um, going up a hill or down a steep hill, you've got to be con especially going down steep hills, you've got to be constantly aware if you're braking where you are, you've got to think about a kilometer ahead exactly what you're doing. It's not like a car where you can just drive along and stop in about 100 metres. But when you're driving a train, you're thinking two or three kilometres ahead of where you're going to stop and what's what's in front of you. That's the momentum that we talked about that attracts. Yeah. Thank you. That's really fascinating. So you wouldn't run an auto mode when, when part of that 20 kilometres has got a level crossing coming, would you? No, you'd still be aware of that. We get... There's a wee sign which will warn you of a level crossing coming up, so you can toot your whistle for that crossing. We also have what's called a, uh, a vigilance or a dead man's device in the locomotive. It operates every 55 seconds where we have to activate something in the cab, like pressing a button, operating the uh, controller, putting the brake on, or um, tooting the whistle. It'll, they're all cancelling devices. So every 55 seconds, if we don't cancel the vigilance device by one of those modes, after another seven seconds, there'll be a whistle and a light will come up in the cab. And if you still don't react to that, we'll put all the brakes on the train. It'll automatically stop the train. And when that happens, it sends a message through the train control, a radio message, and he'll ring you up to see if you're okay, just in case you've had a heart attack or, or a stroke or something like that. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. There's no runaway trains like we see um, in the movies. Yeah, it just it doesn't happen. Well, no. not in New Zealand, but anyway, because no. the train will, all the trains will stop themselves in New Zealand automatically. No. But in saying that, it only happens it occurs every fifty five, every fifty five seconds. So if you're travelling at hundred kilometres an hour, you yeah. can travel away in in fifty five seconds before that train will stop. Yeah. That's a long way. And then, like you say, the momentum of the train and the kilometre, you're thinking a kilometre ahead. It's a, a still a long trajectory, isn't it? Yes, it is, definitely is. So there was a question yesterday, Andrew, about safety. And and it's only really be hinted at here, but um, kids in schools need to think about how much training Ian has had. There's a safety factor in that the many procedures that they have, and there's the idea of maintenance and planning. So oh, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's such a thorough system. But, you know, I think, and, and I know you back me up on this, well, end, it's also our responsibility to think of the locomotive engineer, the train driver, um, you know, by being responsible about uh, around the railway system. You know, following the signs, waiting, looking, and just being really careful because, uh, you know, we do have some responsibility as well. Uh, because like Ian said, it takes a long time 
the trains to stop, slow down. So um, it's not like a car. So that's something to think about. And Ben's been a locomotive engineer for over 40 years. So it seems like a great job. And actually just when we were away filming with um, with the team at Kiwi Rail, it's, it seems like a really good company to work for. Everyone seems pretty happy in their, in their work. And so if anybody is interested, I would, I would recommend the industry that's for sure it's a it's a it's a great industry it's um you know uh rail has the ability to <clears throat> to take a lot of um cars off the road and, and to help reduce um, yes. carbon emissions yes. so and that's just one small part of of the whole picture but uh it's a it's a it's a good good step towards sustainable transport and um, and it's a really fun way to travel too, I must say. We did really talk enjoyed... about that. Mm. We did talk about that, Andrew. Um, we talked. We looked at the Dunedin workshop, and we talked about the fact that it was essentially going to be mothballed, but then all of a sudden is back to being a growth industry, yeah. uh, and links that back to sustainability. And we had a discussion about how sort of society's perspectives on trains has actually changed a little bit when we're yeah. realizing how useful they can be. Mm. Hey, just, uh, just one more thing about safety. I've just put a link down the bottom. Um, there's a competition that you can enter, guys. And all you have to do is come up with um, a safety message, um, a rail safety message, and share it. So I've put the link in there, and that's got all the details about how you can uh, enter that competition. And the prize is a trip for two on the Transalpine. So... I would really recommend you guys have a go at that and get your entries in by the due date and see how you go. <clears throat> well, we've come up to our half hour time slot. So um, I want to thank Ian once again for his time this morning and his expertise. Um, Ian knows a lot about railways, trains, the whole system. So it's been fantastic having the knowledge and we really appreciate it. Thank you to Banks Ave. Thanks for having you school for your questions this morning and engagement. It's been thoroughly enjoyable and I hope you've learned a lot and continue with uh, utilising the Fieldtech website and have a go at that competition. So that's all we've got time for this morning. You can all unmute and say a big kaki te anor. Um, Thank you very much. We really appreciate it. We all just want to say a big thank you. Thank you. Bye, guys. Kaki te Enjoy the rest of your day. We will. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Hey, look at that. <laughs> Thanks, Ian.